the NFL regular season has just officially been wrapped up with the end of week 17. And now in this special episode of the Long Live the Bay podcast, I give you my wildcard weekend playoff predictions as well as my predictions for who will win some of the NFL awards in this season. And welcome back to the Long Live the Bay podcast. And really quickly, right before I jump in to the wild card weekend in my playoff predictions, I just have to speak about that Sunday night football game that we all witnessed between the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles. And look, I don't think what Doug Peterson did was good for the integrity of the game. Now, I, I'm not saying this as someone who wanted the Giants to get in. Yes, I thought it would be pretty funny if a 6-10 and 10 Giants team did actually indeed make it into the playoffs. However, I did think that Washington would be the team that made it in, and I did think they were the team that deserved to make it in. However, I think the way Doug Peterson went about this game was completely, completely wrong. Um, because at the time when you pulled Jalen Hurts out of that game, you're still down by three. And now Hurts has been playing all right up to that point. And the only argument, the only thing I have to say to Doug Peterson is, I am okay with you losing. I understand that Eagles fans are okay that they lost, that some of them are okay they lost, that they tanked, they got a better draft pick, they went from the, if they would have won that game, they would have been the ninth pick in the draft, that them losing put them to the sixth pick. I understand that, that is better for the team. However, what I want to point out is, they still could have lost that game by keeping Jalen Hurts in. It's that simple. They were already losing while Jalen Hurts was playing. They could have hepped him in and they could have still lost the game. No one would have been upset about that. No one would have been mad about you during the game. The Giants fans would not be mad. The Giants teams would not be mad. So if the Eagles would have just, in fact, kept Hurts in and played out the rest of the game with him at quarterback and still found a way to lose, which I think they would have. I think if Hurts stays in that game, they still don't win. I don't see how the Eagles would have won that game. They still would have lost. However, if you're Doug Peterson, you're ruining the integrity of the game by pulling out a rookie quarterback to see what you have in a fifth-year guy in Nate Sudfield who... Quite honestly, when he stepped on the field, he looked lost. He looked like he had never been played quarterback in the NFL ever before. Yes, it is a little bit jittery, but still, you're a fifth-year guy in the league, and when you get put out onto the field, you're looking like you have never stepped foot in um, a pocket, even in college. He was just moving around way too much. He kept constantly leaving clean pockets to get faced into pressure. It was one of those things where if he, if Doug Peterson keeps Jalen Hurts in, they lose the game, no one's mad everything's fine. And now I think Doug Peterson should actually lose his job for what he did. I I know some of the players in Philadelphia are now going against Doug Peterson and he has lost the locker room there. I think he should lose his job. Do I think he will? I don't think he will. But I think you really just got to look at what Doug Peterson did for that team. That was Jason Kelsey and Zach Ertz final game as an Eagle. I don't think either of them are going to come back next year. So that was probably their final game as a Philadelphia Eagle. And instead of making them go off on a great send-off, having them actually play out the rest of the game, you threw in a random quarterback and completely ruined the end for those two. Shoot, you've already lost Carson Wentz, who I think for the if you're the Eagles, you have to bring Carson Wentz back next year and at least have him battle out for that starting spot with Jalen Hurts. There's no reason to give up on him yet. And yet, from what I've heard, Doug Peterson and Wentz are, they have completely fallen out with each other. Wentz wants to go. And I think if you're the Eagles, you got to get rid of Peterson, try to keep Wentz, and try to get that locker room back under control. Because what Peterson did for that Philadelphia franchise has not been good and has not been good for all of football. And now, with that out of the way, 
let's go ahead and look at the wild card weekend for my playoff predictions. And the first game of the weekend is going to be the Indianapolis Colts versus the Buffalo Bills and what I think will be the best game of the weekend. And these are two very similar teams on paper. The Buffalo Bills have scored, um, they have 31.3 points scored points scored per game. That is not currently second in the NFL, while the Colts have 28.2. That is ninth. The Bills have allowed 23.4 points per game. That is 16th in the league, while Indianapolis is slightly better with 22.6 points allowed per game, which is 10th. So both of those are very, very similar. The Bills have about, they score around three more points per game, and the Colts allow about under a point per game less. So they're both very similar. And in takeaways too, the Buffalo Bills are plus four in the takeaway differential. That's 10th in the league. While the Colts are doing a little bit better there, they are plus 10 in the takeaway differential. That is second in the league. So these are two very, very similar teams with just slightly different records because the Bills have just been playing a bit more consistently throughout the year, while the Colts have been a very Jekyll and Hyde type team. It's what are you going to get from the Colts offense? Are you going to get the Colts offense where it looks like they should have been a top five playoff team and they could have been the fifth seed in the in the fifth seed in the playoffs instead of the seventh seed? Or are you going to get an offense which is not really going to get going? Phillip Rivers is just going to look like he has completely regressed and is playing terrible. So that's what you got to look at when you're looking at this game versus the Colts versus the Colts and Bills. What Colts team is going to come out this weekend? And I think the Colts are actually going to have a pretty good game and they're going to play well offensively. And this game is really just going to come down to a couple things. One, the Bills are going to have to be able to stop the run because if they do not, Jonathan Taylor will be able to take over this game and allow the Colts to just settle in and get an offensive rhythm going. And if the Colts can do that, they can hold off the Bills. The Colts are going to want to be playing the time of possession. They're going to want to hold on to the ball a lot. They're going to want to run it down Buffalo's throat. And the Bills are going to have to try to stop that. The Bills currently have allowed 119 rushing yards per game. That is 17th in the league. So they have they are susceptible to giving up the giving up run and allowing running backs to really establish themselves in games. So if you're the Bills, you're going to have to stop the run at all costs. Now, if you're the Colts on the other side, you're going to need to contain Josh Allen. Josh Allen played at an MVP-type level this year, and you're going to really need to stop him from getting anything going on the offensive side. And that is going to be a tall order for the Colts, and I really do think this game is going to end up in a shootout. My prediction for this game I have the Bills winning in a shootout 33-30. to The Bills do enough offensively to get going, and they are able to just hold on for the win. Josh Allen is going to play. I think Josh Allen is going to play well in this playoff game, and the Bills are going to move on past the Colts. But this is the game This is a game where you could see the Colts, go, the Colts win. This is the closest game of the wildcard weekend, and I, that's why I think it will be the best game of wildcard weekend. Moving on to the second game, we have the Rams versus the Seahawks, and this is a Rams team that is currently injured and hampered. They are not at 100%. The Rams in this game will most likely be missing Jared Goff, who had some thumb surgery on his right thumb. He missed last week's game against the Cardinals, and the Rams had to throw out John Wolford. Also missing for the C- for the Rams is going to be Cooper Cup, while as on the Seahawks side, they are going to be missing Jamal Adams, as it looked like he took an injury to his shoulder and I do um, against 
the Niners, and I do not think he will be playing in at least the first round of the playoffs. So if you're the Rams, this is not good for you guys. This is a great matchup between two divisional opponents. However, the Rams without Goff are seriously, seriously limited. They were barely able to limp past the Cardinals, who were missing Kyler Murray for a majority of the game, and Wolford did not play well in that game. Wolford, against the Cardinals, had 10 bad throws. 27% of his throws were considered bad throws. So, without Goff, this team is really, really limited on the offensive side. Now, defensively, Defensively, the Rams are still the same team. They are still uh, the best against the pass. They have allowed 190 passing yards per game. That is first in the league. They are third in rushing yards allowed per game. That is 91 yards per game. That is third in the NFL. They are really, really good defensively. However, I don't know what their offense is going to do. I don't know how well their offense is going to do. And if you're the Seahawks, all you really have to do is just outslug that offense from the Rams. And that is not that difficult to do. Now you are coming off a slow week against the 49ers where you didn't really do anything until the fourth quarter. But when the fourth quarter hit, fourth quarter, Russell Wilson took over and he was able to win them that game. And I think we could be seeing a similar thing this week where the Rams and Seahawks is going to be very low scoring, a very low scoring game throughout but at the end, I think the Seattle should be able to win comfortably 23-10. to 10. Without Goff, the Rams offense won't be able to get much going. If you're Seattle, this should be a win. And if you lose, that is going... That is a gut punch to your season because this is a team that has Super Bowl aspirations this year. So Seattle will beat the Rams. It will be a close game up until the fourth quarter when I think Seattle will run away with it. And now we're going to be jumping to the final game on Saturday where it will be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Washington football team. And this is a Washington team that is limping into the playoffs after being handed a win by the Eagles by Doug Peterson when he put in Nate Sudfield. And this is a Bucks team that last week played very, very well. And their offense is looking dangerous. Their offense is looking like the offense everyone kind of expected coming into the year with the weapons such as Gronk, Ronald Jones, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. However, Mike Evans will be missing the game as he hyperextended his leg, his knee last week. So he will be out. That is a blow to the Buccaneers. However, I still think they can work around that. Now, if you're looking at this for Tampa Bay, they have the third highest scoring offense. They have 30.8 points scored per game and Washington they have a good defense they have 20.6 points allowed per game that is fourth in the league and they have the second best passing defense 191 yards allowed per game that is second that is only one yard less than what the Rams are allowing and so if you're looking at it that way Washington does match up well against the Buccaneers high-flying passing offense however it's going to be hard for Washington to establish themselves in this game. They might be able to slow the Buccaneers down for the first quarter and maybe a little bit of the second quarter, but past that, it's going to be really hard when your offense is not really getting anything going. The Washington's offense is only scoring 20.9 points per game. That is 25th in the league. That is bottom 10. So they have a bottom 10 offense, but they have a top 10 defense. And it's going to be very hard to get anything really going, especially when you're going to have to rely on the rush to get going when the Buccaneers have the best rushing defense in the league. They have allowed 80 rushing yards per game this year. That is first in the NFL. That is the best. So if you're Washington, that is going to be very difficult to get your running, your rushing offense going against a team that is very solid against the run. And 
Also, another thing to look at, Washington is negative four in takeaway turnover difference. That is 23rd in the league, while the Buccaneers are plus eight. That is sixth in the league. So Washington isn't even going to be able to, Washington this year hasn't even really been able to create turnovers for themselves to allow them to get into the games. And one final thing I want to point out, Washington's offense, they have only scored over 25 points three times all year. That is, a, if you're playing against the Buccaneers, you're going to need to score over 25 points. And Washington's defense it's going to be hard to hold the Bucks under 20 points. And this is playoff Tom Brady. Playoff Tom Brady did not show out last year. Will he show up this year? I think he does. I think the Bucks score 30 and cruise to, a division, cruise to the divisional round, winning 30-15. to 15. And now onto the Sunday games where it is going to be the Ravens versus the Tennessee Titans. And this, I think, will be the second best game of the weekend following that Colts-Bills game. And this is the third time now these two teams will be playing in the past 12 months. And the Titans have won the previous two matchups. And this matchup is really just going to come down to which team can stop the run better. Currently, the Ravens are allowing 4.6 yards per attempt rushing, while the Titans are allowing 4.5 yards per attempt rushing. So those are very, very similar numbers. But if you look at the defensive, defensive rushing yards allowed per game, Baltimore favors better there. They are only allowing 108 rushing yards per game. That is eighth in the league, while the Titans are allowing 120 rushing yards per game. That is 19th. And the Baltimore still does have the best rushing offense with 191 rushing yards per game, while Titans are second with 168 rushing yards per game. So this game will really come down to who can run the ball better, which team is going to be able to stack the box with eight defenders and stop the other team's run. And if you're the Titans, this might have been the best matchup for you on paper. This is probably the matchup most Titan fans wanted because... This game, I think, plays into their strengths a lot more than what other people are kind of expecting. I've been seeing a lot of people saying the Ravens are going to win this game, and I just don't believe that. Now, I'm just going to get this out of the way. My prediction is the Titans are going to win 23-14. to Henry is going to dominate that Ravens D. He's going to rush for 150 yards, and I'm going to tell you why. On the first drive of the game from the Tennessee Titans, you should immediately, if you see the Ravens are just going to stack the box, open up with a bunch of play-action passes, catch the Ravens with their pants down. Because that's the one thing where I give the Titans the edge, and I think that is the big edge to hold. The Titans have the much better passing offense than the Ravens do. The Ravens had the worst passing offense in the league this past year, 171 passing yards per game. That is 32nd. The Titans, they only had 228 passing yards per game. That's 23rd. However, the Titans have a lot, a lot more weapons. Tannehill is a better thrower than Lamar Jackson. A.J. Brown is a better wide receiver than Marquise Brown. Corey Davis is a better number two than whatever number two the Ravens are going to throw out, whether that be Willie Sneed. Mark Andrews is maybe going to play wet as well as Corey Davis. But even then, I don't know how much the Ravens are going to want to throw because as you saw last year, the Titans got a lead early and they forced Lamar to throw and that was the Ravens' downfall. If the Ravens cannot play into their strength of running the ball, they will not be able to win this game. And I think the Titans, with their ability to run and pass the ball better than the Ravens can, I think the Titans will win this. And I think it will be 23 to 14 Titans. I don't see how the Ravens can really win this unless Lamar is able to get going offensively very quickly. If the Ravens want to win, Lamar is going to need to get going very quickly. The running game is at the going to get going and Lamar is going to have to make the critical passes. However, 
I still don't think he takes that leap, and I still don't think he is able to make those critical passes that he's going to need to make for the Ravens to win this game. So I have the Titans winning this game. On to the second game on Saturday, on that Sunday, and this is going to be Bears Saints. They have already played once this season. The Saints won in overtime, 26 to 23, and the big caveat to that game was Nick Foles was the quarterback for the Bears. So Nick Foles was able to somewhat keep the Bears in the game, and on paper. On paper, this looks like an easy win for the Saints if you're looking at it. The 8-8 eight eight Bears have only, they have been playing well these past couple of weeks, but they have not been against the best teams. Mitch Trubisky has been playing better. However, if you're not playing against some of the top defenses, I really can't say you have been playing all that better when you have been playing teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars that you're, that every team in the NFL is basically beating up besides that one fluke game where they beat the Colts at the beginning of the year. And a big loss for the Saints this week, though, is going to be Alvin Kamara. He is still on the COVID-19 list, and I don't think he's going to be activated before Sunday. Now, if he does, this could be a different game. However, I'm I'm predicting this game with no Alvin Kamara. No Alvin Kamara playing, that's how I'm predicting this. And if you're looking at this, the Bears, to win this game, they're going to need to run the ball and get their run game going. Mitch is going to have to make some big-time throws. The Bears' offense is just going to kind of need to just get going and kind of hold off that Saints defense because this is going to be a defensive slugfest. Both of these teams have very good defenses. The Chicago Bears have allowed 23.1 points per game. That is 14th in the league, while New Orleans has allowed 21.1, which is fifth. So that is only two points between the two, yet that is nine different places. However, the one thing with Chicago I want to throw out is their defense is playing a lot more because their offense has been with their offense in the middle of the season was just abysmal. It was one of the worst offenses I have ever seen in the NFL. And that was kind of fixed once Nagy stopped calling plays. And I think this is going to be the upset of the week. I think the Bears stunned the Saints and sneak out of New Orleans with the 17-14 to win. It's going to be a defensive slugfest. There's not going to be a whole lot of points scored. And without Alvin Kamara, I don't think that Saints offense is really going to be able to get going that much. The, the Bears defense lines up really well against that Saints offense. So I think the Bears are going to sneak out of New Orleans with a win. And it's just going to be one of this. This is the upset of the week. And the final final game on Sunday is Browns versus Steelers. And this is a game where if you're a Browns fan, I feel sorry for you. This is the first time the Browns have made the playoffs since 2002. And yet coming into this game, they are missing two very important people. They are missing head coach Kevin Stefanski, one of the best head coaches this past year. In his first year, he did amazing with this Browns team, turning them around and showing you why the Vikings were so good last year when he was their offensive coordinator there. They ran the ball in Minnesota and in Cleveland, they are now running the ball and that is allowing the Cleveland Browns to have success. The other big piece the Browns are missing is Pro Bowl guard Joel Betonio and that is a big loss. And the one thing I all everyone needs to look at is the Browns barely beat the Steelers last week when the Steelers played their backups. And so coming into this game, the Steelers are not going to be playing their backups. They're going to be playing everyone. So if you're the Browns, you're really going to need to try and get that running game to take over. If the Browns can get their rushing game to take over the game, they have a chance to win. However, 
I don't think they're going to do that. I think the Steelers and Big Ben are going to have an offensive game. They're going to play a clean game, and the Steelers are going to win 27-17 to against the Browns. I don't think the Browns are going to be able to do it enough offensively to get going to keep them really in this game when they were barely they beat the Steelers by two when the Steelers were playing a majority of their backups and their off, main offensive players were main players were only playing half the snaps that they would regularly play or less snaps. So that is the recap. One more time, going over every game. I think the Bills beat the Colts in the first game of Wild Card Weekend in what will be the best game, 33 to 30. I think the Seahawks beat the Rams, who are missing Jared Goff, 23 to 10. I think Brady and the Bucks beat the Washington football team 30 to 15. Washington's offense will not be able to get started. And I think the Titans will be able to beat the Ravens once again. Derrick Henry showing why he is the Ravens' daddy. The Titans win 23 to 14. The Bears upset the Saints 17 to 14 in what will be a defensive slugfest. And the Steelers beat the Browns by 10, 27 to 17. And now I want to move on to my next segment where I am going to be giving out my end of the year awards for who I think should win each award. And I'm going to start out with comeback player of the year, and it has to be Alex Smith. If you have anyone other than Alex Smith, I'm sorry, I just don't respect your opinion at all. If you have Big Ben, I'm sorry, you really just don't. You're, you're a casual football fan if you think it's about the stats for this for this award because Alex Smith nearly died. He nearly lost his leg. He had a 5% chance to walk again, and yet he's playing offensive snaps, NFL snaps, and he led the Washington football team to the playoffs. If Washington doesn't play him, they're not in the playoffs. Dwayne Haskins was not the option there. Alex Smith really showing why he is a leader. Yes, he's not the greatest quarterback ever, but he do- he is the comeback player of the year. It is just a miracle that he was able to step foot and play actual NFL snaps once again. Now, for defensive rookie of the year, I have Chase Young beating out Jeremy Chin, and I will tell you why. Chase Young currently has 23 pressures, seven and a half sacks, four first, four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and one touchdown. While Jeremy Chin has one interception, two forced fumbles, one sack, 117 tackles, but he has two big major gut punches that kind of go against him when he has 11.4% missed tackle percentage, which is a very high. One out of every 10 times, basically, he is going to miss a tackle. That is a very big number, and that is something you don't want to be seeing from a free safety. And he is also allowing 115.7% passer rating against him, so he's not even doing that well in coverage. So, I think Jeremy Chin did really start the season out. He started out really, really well. However, Chase Young finished the season very well and really came alive in the last five to six weeks. And that is why Chase Young will beat out Jeremy Chin for Defensive Rookie of the Year. And moving on to Offensive Rookie of the Year, where it's only between Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert. And you can go either way on this. Either pick is fine. I think they are both deserving of the award. I'm going to give it to Justin Jefferson simply for the fact that he is a wide receiver and what he did as a rookie was simply outstanding. He was the best rookie wide receiver out of this class, and there was a lot of guys taken over him that... Now you're looking back at it, it was like Henry Ruggs being the first wide receiver off the board really does look like a mistake. And so Justin Jefferson, I'm giving him offensive rookie of the year. If you give it to Justin Herbert, that is fine. I think both are deserving. I just think Jefferson doing it as a wide receiver is a little bit more impressive to me than as the rookie quarterback. And on to coach of the year, where I want to give two honorable mentions. First, to Sean McDermott. What he did this year with the Bills and completely turning around Josh Allen 
is simply amazing and outstanding. You can give it to him, and I completely respect that. Sean McDermott really did turn the Bills around. They went from a wild card team to winning the division and having the number two seed in the AFC. That is outstanding. Josh Allen was an MVP caliber year player this year, and that is because of Sean McDermott and his coaching staff. Yes, the defense did start out a little bit slow, but it did play better at, as the year went on. And I think the Bills are probably the only real team in the AFC that I think can take down the Kansas City Chiefs. And I want to give one more honorable mention to Brian Flores. What he did with this Dolphins team is simply amazing. They went from a team where they were picking inside the top five last year, and now they were 10-6 and six and barely missed out in the playoffs. However, I would have given this to Brian Flores. He was my Coach of the Year winner for almost the whole year until he kind of found himself in this quarterback controversy, and he wasn't handled the best way, though... Brian Flores did not handle the quarterback controversy amazingly with how Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tungavailoa Tua played. There was just that little inconsistency where Flores wasn't, the offense really wasn't allowing Tua to play up to his full potential. And I think that's why Flores will just be held back a little bit and not win this award. The person I do have this winning though is Kevin Stefanski. And there is really it's Kevin Stefanski. This is the first time the Browns have made the playoffs since 2002. He turned this Browns team around. Last year, uh, Freddie Kitchens was not able to do anything with this Browns offense, and Kevin Stefanski was able to turn it around and make it one of the best rushing offenses of this uh, of the NFL this year. So I really think it's going. He deserves the Coach of the Year, and that's why I think it sucks that the. Browns will be playing their first round playoff match without him. If he was there, I think the Browns would actually have a better chance of winning that game without him, though. I don't think they will win. Um, but yes, Kevin Stefanski is still my coach of the year. What he did with the Browns is simply sensational. And now onto defensive player of the year. And I just want to give an honorable mention to DeForest Buckner, who I who will finish third. I'm giving him an honorable mention because he will finish third because the first two are far and away the front two runners. And that is Aaron Donald and TJ Watt. Aaron Donald this year has 42 pressures and he is facing the most double teams in the league. That has to be stated. He has 42 pressures, four forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, 13 and a half sacks, and 14 tackles for loss. TJ Watt has one interception, 55 pressures, 15 sacks, 23 tackles for loss, and two forced fumbles. The only thing really going against TJ Watt is he is not facing as many double teams coming off the edge, and he does have a 10.2% missed tackle percentage. So really, this is another this is another award where it can go either way. You can give it to Aaron Donald once again. That is completely fine. You can give it to TJ Watt. That is fine. Me, I'm going to go ahead and give it to TJ Watt. He led the league in sacks and he led the league in tackles for loss. I really think he's just a phenomenal player. But if you give it to Aaron Donald, that is completely fine. It was really hard for me to give this one to TJ Watt. I could not decide because Donald's numbers are slightly worse. But you do have to remember, he does face more double teams than TJ Watt does. But I am going to go ahead and give it to TJ Watt over Aaron Donald. If you give it to Donald over TJ Watt, that is completely acceptable. And on to Offensive Player of the Year, there is only one candidate. It is Derrick Henry, 2,000 rushing yards, enough said. And on to the MVP. And the MVP, it's between two players for me. Aaron Rodgers 
and Josh Allen. Josh Allen this year has 69.2% completion percentage, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 1.7 interception percentage. He's only throwing an interception on 1.7% of his throws. He has a 6.5 touchdown percentage. He has a 6.5% chance to throw a touchdown on any given pass. He had a 107.2 passer rating. Don't look at QBR. QBR is a bogus stat until ESPN releases how they calculate QBR. Never look at it. Always trust passer rating. Josh Allen has a 107.2% passer rating, and to go along with this, Josh Allen has 421 rushing yards along with 8 rushing touchdowns, and Josh Allen has been on target with 79.1% of his throws, and he is averaging 7.9 yards per attempt. Those were all very good stats. Now let's go ahead and look at Aaron Rodgers, who has a 70.7% completion percentage, 48 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, a 1% interception chance a 1% interception rate, a 9.1 touchdown rate, 8.2 yards per attempt, 121.5 passer rating, and he is on target 82.4% of the time. Really just looking at the stats, it's Aaron Rodgers. Josh Allen had a phenomenal year. However, you cannot take away what Aaron Rodgers did. A lot of people thought he was washed last year. I did not think he was going to have a great year this year, and he proved me and a lot of the haters wrong and really just showed why he is still a top 10 quarterback in the league. Just a phenomenal year from Aaron Rodgers. He is clearly the MVP of the season. Now you could try and go ahead and give it to Derrick Henry. I know a lot of people say the Titans offense would not be as successful without Derrick Henry. I'm actually going to disagree with that a little bit. I think the Titans could still perform well under Ryan Tannehill. I think he is a top 10 quarterback that not a lot of people overlook because he has Derrick Henry. Um, however, Aaron Rodgers is your is the NFL's MVP this year, and he rightfully should be. Josh Allen should come in second, and I think Patrick Mahomes should come in third. And that is all I have for you guys on this bonus episode of the Long Live the Bay podcast. Stay tuned for tomorrow, where I will be recapping the 49ers season, as well as that Week 17 matchup where the Niners lost to the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs>